and welcome to another session of the Ghoul Guides Association. I am Lauren. And I'm Mary. And we are the Ghoul Guides. And we are very, very warm because there very is hot. a heat wave in the UK and neither we nor our country are equipped to deal with the heat. So we're just, sorry. We're just two poor little academic goths. You know, Literally. melting, <laughs> melting in such the stereotypes. <laughs> such stereotypes. We're so warm. I mean, what a beautiful day to carry on talking about metal. Yeah, like perfect. Obviously, stay away from metal perfect. because metal gets metal gets very hot <laughs> in the sun. Um, but yeah, if you want to stay cool today, and you know, maybe after this, maybe after listening to this, just go and listen to a metal album in the shade with lots of with lots yeah. of like water. But okay, so this is this is part two of our series um, exploring the gothic history of heavy metal. So if you haven't watched Insert part one yet, solo here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, so if you haven't watched part one yet, then you know what are you waiting for? Go and go and watch it because there's lots of lots of gothic facts. Or oh, listen, yeah, there's lots of gothic facts about metal. And they're, you know, really, mm-hmm. really interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a fun episode. Uh, we won't go everything, I'll go over what we covered there, because obviously we've already covered it. But just to recap, part one delves into heavy metal's gothic origins with Black yep. Sabbath and Judas Priest, um, before turning to some of its gothic developments in the 80s with British New Wave and glam metal. So again, just to recap, as we discovered, metal is shocking and transgressive. It encompasses a gothic excess in its music, its lyrical mm-hmm. content, and stage performances, while it also creates gothic mythologies and characters. At mm-hmm. times, it can be ominous and sinister, but it can also be fun and playful. And it often criticizes the elite and the establishment, um, while it welcomes the weird, the camp, and social outcasts. So through metal songs and aesthetics, bands sometimes delve into the occult and, sat- and satanic themes, which provokes accusations that they are actually Satanists and leads to protests and even public burnings of their albums. And frequently the inspiration of songs comes directly from Gothic and horror narratives, or even like Horace Walpole's The Castle of Otranto and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the genesis for monstrous songs comes to the band in their dreams. So <laughs> if, that, if that interests you, again, go and listen to part one where we go into all of those in more detail. Mm -hmm. Um, But for now, let's pick up where we left off in the 80s. We've already talked about British New Wave and glam metal, but there are many, many, many other subgenres of metal that developed in the 80s across America and the UK and and other parts of Europe, including black metal, death metal, and thrash. There are gothic elements in all of these genres, Mm -hmm. um, but in this video, we're gonna focus on thrash simply because it's my favorite. And, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's our show we get to show. do what we want <laughs> you know we're gonna talk about thrash and uh, you're gonna like it <laughs> god dang it uh, yeah so shall we get into it yeah let's go <laughs> okay so i mean what is what if i say thrash to you um i don't know how well you know this genre but what what do you what do you think of like what what comes to mind when i when you know when i say thrash so thrash, I think, is the one I'm least familiar with because, okay. and and this is not the same for all autistic people, but for me, it makes me really anxious when I listen mm-hmm. to it, I think, because it's too much sound. I kind of have a vague understanding and awareness of where the boundaries between like thrash, death metal, black metal, everything comes. But I think 
thrash is the one that I am least familiar with because it hurts my little autistic ears. And I can totally understand that because I think one thing that that there is in thrash metal this is this kind of like sensory overload of just yes. everything all at once. Yes, like it's very fast and it's very intense and it's yeah. like I it's one of those things it's like Dickens. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I see the artistry. I would recommend it to other people. It's not for me. I don't like it. <laughs> and I, you know, I think that's fine. Like, you know, obviously, like everyone has different music tastes and not everyone's going to be into metal. And there's lots of like different genres in metal as well. So not everyone's mm-hmm. going to be into the same genres. And I think that's fine. You know, everyone doesn't have to like the same things. What? Yeah. <laughs> radical. <laughs> but yeah, so 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 musically, thrash basically incorporate incredibly fast riffs that are you know a high speed and they're all, all also like very complex and very technical um so it mm-hmm. also has like really long guitar solos that are long but also like really complicated and hard to play and those guitar like solos high are... levels on guitar hero yeah so and, and these <laughs> these guitar solos are often known as sh- known as shredding shredding yes. yeah yeah that, that's how that. that's how fast they are um <laughs> and they also have like a kind of like aggressive double bass and drumming so one yeah one one of the reasons why I quite like thrash is because they they're quite repetitive in terms of their kind of rhythm. So they have they often will go through like different rhythmic kind of um, structures that that change throughout the song, but they're they're quite repetitive and and I quite like that as someone who you know like like things that repeat. Um, so you yeah so you have like the kind of intro and then the like the the verse and then the pre-chorus and the chorus and then maybe a little interlude and then the next verse and then the pre-chorus and and then massive solo massive solo the structure is not dissimilar to particularly like contemporary pop where it's like verse pre-chorus chorus verse pre-chorus chorus bridge dance mm-hmm. interlude yeah epic chorus where everybody acapellas over each other like there's a very I mean we are not musicologists but there's definitely something that's very pleasing about that build and structure when it yeah. comes to music but and I, I think say, that's why thrash gets people so energized but there, were, there is also a kind of yes there's that kind of like repeating but there's also a kind of there's odd ryth- rhythmic structures and different rhythmic styles and they'll go from like different kinds of you know, four four structures to different mm-hmm. kinds of structures, which you know is I quite like. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> um, so the aggression in the music is in part like a kind of reflection um, of like a, a backlash to Thatcherism and Reaganism because everything went really bad, and so you know, music kind of responded to that and was like, yeah, this is bad, and we're going to get aggressive about that because we don't like it. Yep, and you know other kinds of extreme metal genres um the lyrical content was also quite you know quite violent and aggressive in the way <laughs> that it addressed like social issues and spoke to you know it's, they're quite critical of political establishments which I think you know is, is interesting that that whole kind of like speaking to power even if yeah they don't necessarily offer solutions it's just <laughs> more of a kind of like this is bad and we're gonna it's like the, it's the rage it's the giving mm. voice to the anger it's not necessarily saying this is how we should fix it it's just an outlet exactly 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 yeah and it's also 
so that kind of aggression and, and these more kind of like violent kind of styles were also born out of a reaction to the more moderate and, and pop influence glam metal so kind of I guess people looking at what I think is great in glam metal but just being like that's that's not for us and we want to do something a bit different that is less kind of like catchy hooks and, and more about yes um, the, a different the... type of performativity exactly exactly so yeah there's less pop and hairspray um but there's still like a, a lot of gothic excess <laughs> um, in the aggression mm-hmm. in the aggression and the lyrical content um and they still are often like draw on the occult and gothic and horror narratives and live performance of these bands were also quite you know gothically spectacular yeah um so in the 1980s there were four bands that basically dominated the thrash scene in America. And they were seen as pioneers. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like these, these bands also still dominate discourse of thrash <laughs> today. They're known as the big four. And I was actually lucky enough to be at Sonosphere, which was a metal festival that took place at Nebworth in the UK. I'm not sure if, it, I think it maybe doesn't take place in the UK anymore. Maybe it does. I don't know. Um, Nebworth's pretty popular for that kind of thing. So I, yeah. I suspect that some people will be familiar with that but it's it's an outdoor venue yeah um, but Son- Sonosphere was a big metal festival or heavy heavy rock and metal festival and in 2011 was the first time that all four of these bands appeared at the same on the same same stage not the same time but you know on the same stage in the same like, lineup <laughs> in the UK the same on the same schedule <laughs> yeah so it was it was a big thing you know, and and I think you know, obviously, twenty eleven is a long time ago, but there's still a lot of no, um, Mary, don't say that. <laughs> yeah, I feel old, but, but I mean, the fact that these bands in twenty eleven, when they kind of rose to like their prominence in yeah. the eighties, I think that shows just how much of like a longevity and, and legacy they had. So I'm just going to put you on the spot, and that's fine. But oh, do you God. know? Do you know any of these bands, or can you can you like just have a guess at them? <laughs> Metallica? Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Don't ask me if you're anymore. I this is the thing. When you say them, I know I'm gonna know them, but the only one that is coming to mind is Metallica. Okay, but the, but that's good, that's good. Because that's 25, that's 25% of them. So you know, you get you get a gold star from me. Um thank you. Okay, so the big four are so you got Metallica and then you got Megadeth. Yes. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and then you got Slayer. Yes. Yeah, and then you got Anthrax. I did not know that Anthrax was before. I know who Anthrax are. Would not have come to mind. I probably should have known that it was <laughs> Slayer. But hey, but you, you recognize <laughs> the name. It's like what you said. You yeah, know, I exactly. Think, I think sometimes you can't necessarily recall them. Um, but yeah, you 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 knew who they were. So basically, what we're going to do in this video is kind of go through these four bands, and and because mm-hmm. I think even though they're known as the Big Four, and they have a, like a lot of similarities because they're all thrash fans they also have like a lot of like distinct distinctive things that I think are also quite yeah musically Um, quite different mm, as well yeah yeah so that's what we're gonna do so yeah they they pioneer the kind of aggressive technical technically complex and speed metal sound and they all also interestingly released albums in either 1986 or 1987 that basically brought these bands to the mainstream so that's that's also what we're going to be focusing on like what yeah. the albums that they released in those 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 two years um and how that kind of influenced their kind of sound and and everything and it basically yeah these albums cemented them as being at the vanguard of of thrash yeah um so for all of you stranger things fans <laughs> and, <laughs> and especially eddie stands 
<laughs> who are discovering or perhaps rediscovering Metallica. Why don't we start with Metallica? Yay, um, they're also the one that I know the best. Yes, yeah. Um, and I also do want to add, you know, that like there's no wrong time to like discover music or become um, like a fan of an artist or a band, like whatever genre you listen to. Like, and I think we see this with Kate Bush as well. Like, there's there's no, yes. like, it's fine. You can you can come across these bands Children or these artists. are allowed to like music. Yeah, I, I, mean, I and think so it's are great. young adults. If you've never, this is this has been making me laugh slash angry on Twitter <laughs> the last few weeks because I grew up in a Kate Bush family. We were a Kate Bush, David Bowie, mm-hmm. Rush, Prince family, and I, we were a Kate Bush family. But I want we weren't really a rock family. That was something I came to by myself. Like I didn't find out about like the bands that I was was really into until I was a teenager because there was nobody to tell me about them and the internet was very new. I will again insist that we're not old. <laughs> but the internet was new <laughs> on my desktop computer. Um, yeah, it does make me laugh. But. When you, at the end, I will tell you a little story about my teenage experience with thrash metal that I think will make you laugh. And it's very <laughs> pertinent to this gatekeeping. Okay, um, okay, cool. I think you'll find it really funny. Yeah, I love, I've loved seeing people coming to both Kate Bush and Metallica because mm. of Stranger Things. I think it's really lovely. I think it's great. I also want to know, like my my family is also not a rock or metal family. Like my, my dad loves ABBA. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) I I don't know I don't know I just found these bands and then got myself into them there was a time children there was something called Kerrang and it was a station on the television (laughs) that was my gateway back when back when TVs only had five channels (laughs) my parents once well actually no my neighbours bought a Dyson and we got Sky you got Sky for free if you bought a Dyson because early 2000s late 90s anyway anyway we're not old. back to the metal um, but yeah back old. back to the metal I think that it's great like that people are discovering Metallica so yeah keep listening to and check out whatever you want I think gatekeeping is bad whatever genre of music you listen to so just yeah, just don't do it just just you know hate is gonna hate so you just live your best life so let's let's talk about why Metallica are gothic um, and why you should absolutely check them out if Stranger Things and Eddie, you know, are not, are not big enough endorsements. <laughs> so, okay, Metallica were founded in 1981 in Los Angeles, but they didn't find commercial success until their third studio album, which was released in 1986. Ah. Do you know what album this was? No. Master of Puppets. Uh, of course it was yeah which everybody is everybody had that patch on their jacket yeah yeah <laughs> so you know fans of strange things this is where the single master of puppets comes from um mm-hmm. so some of the songs in this album like many metal songs before took inspiration from horror narratives so the thing that should not be was inspired by lovecraft's cthulhu mythos and it also wasn't the first time that the band had kind of explored Lovecraft's Cosmic Monster. The previous album also included an instrumental track called The Call of Cthulhu, which also kind of, you know, hauntingly manifests cosmic horror, but in metal. And it's great. Yeah. Welcome Home Sanitarium takes inspiration from literature um, and it's based on Ken Kesey's novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And that song is really creepy and ominous. Um, It basically tells the story of what it's like to be imprisoned in a mental institute unjustly. So yeah, if you've read the book 
or seen the film or if you're just interested in that kind of you know asylum gothic then check out this song because I think it does a really good job in kind of reflecting it's really creepy it's really creepy just like if you imagine how you would feel if you found yourself in a mental institute but you weren't actually mentally ill but yeah the title track um, of the album is obviously Master of Puppets and yeah. it is very gothic <laughs> so yeah this is the song that Eddie Jams do in the Upside Down now I don't know I don't think you've watched Stranger Things I have watched the first two seasons mm-hmm. I wanted to watch season three and four those who are new to the Google Guides won't, yeah. may not be aware that I am a massive scaredy cat and my yeah. overactive amygdala basically prevents me from watching anything that is horror. Spooky, creepy, absolutely mm. fine. Fine with stuff like The Shining. The minute it gets body horror, the minute it gets kind of grotesque and gore, I just, I just can't watch it. So I have not watched season three and four. What I have done is what I love to do with horror movies and read the synopsis for all the episodes. <laughs> which I love, which I love. And- <laughs> Stranger Things season four, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think you, you should watch it. But it, it basically heavily riffs on um, a nightmare on Elm Street with a kind of monster. But there is a scene, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but where Eddie, the kind of, you he's know, the DM, yeah, the the D, the DM, the DM of the group, Dungeon who's also, is it, yeah, who's also a massive like metal geek, and I, yep. you know. I mean, Eddie, come on. We talked about in part one, but like Iron Maiden's mascot is called Eddie. Yes. And I between have to think the that- time Between the time that we filmed episode one and episode two, I text Mary and was like, oh my God, I've just twigged that his name is Eddie Munson. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Eddie and also Munson, which is riffing on like the Munsters. It's riffing on Manson. It's riffing yeah, on so yeah. many things. And I was like, I can't believe I didn't twig. But I think because I'd only just seen people talking about the Metallica reference and then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, he's a metal fan and his name is Eddie and he's got the hair. Well, I also think like as as soon as I saw him, like I was like, he just looks like he's been styled after Bruce Dickinson, who is, you know, the fat man of Iron Maiden. Excellent, excellent kind of, you know, makeup and styling and, and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, in this, in the, there's this one scene um, in in season four where he goes into the upside down, which is a kind of like, uh, how would you describe? It's based that? on the Shadowfell in D and D. Yeah, yeah, I guess a kind of alternate dimension that's kind of yes. like our world, but not. I will do an episode on mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons, and if you yeah. like Stranger Things and you don't know much about D and D. I will explain things because also the monsters in every season mm-hmm. of Strange Things so far has been taken from D&D and particularly the season four I won't say it because it is a bit of a spoiler although it's kind of like if you know D&D you knew it was coming but the big bad in season four is a is a well-known big bad mm-hmm. in the D&D mythos yeah which is also very gothic <laughs> it is yeah and I look forward to that episode because I think that that's that's really interesting and I think people would love to get to grips with D and and it's kind of gothicness as well. Yeah, but it overlaps with this so much. <laughs> yeah, but essentially Eddie goes into this kind of upside down alternate dimension, whatever, and he is trying to be a decoy essentially, so to distract the attention of some monsters who happen to be bats. Very gothic, of course. What else would they be? <laughs> um, 
he plays a, he plays the entirety of master of puppets that is a um, long song <laughs> yeah so they don't play they don't play the entire song um, oh, okay. and they do kind of cut cut and chop it because it's very long it's very long it's um, a really long song but um yeah like that's what he uses as a decoy and i also really love so the band and joseph quinn is the actor that plays eddie they've really embraced like this kind of like connection Joseph Quinn has put up videos of him like practicing the the Master of Puppets solo and, and all of that kind of stuff. And Metallica also released a video where they kind of did a play along where they played along to that Amazing. scene. Um, so yeah, like if you haven't seen that before, go and check that out because I think I think that's great. And I also think, you know, again, gatekeeping, Metallica are obviously like on board with this. And you know, yeah, they... Metallica are not about the gatekeeping. They no. I think they even went on Twitter and was like, Yeah, come to us at whatever age you come to us, we don't care. Yeah, yeah which I think is the right way to do it. The song is about cocaine addiction and musically it's also quite haunting and sinister and the track actually fades out with like sinister laughter. And yeah, we were talking about like how long it is. It's eight minutes and 36 seconds. So yeah, like (laughs) it's for that gothic excess. It's very, very (laughs) self-indulgent. Yeah. But yeah, like if, if you haven't listened to any Metallica songs before, then go and listen to this one in its entirety because it is it is great. Um, and it's definitely well worth listening to. There's several riffs in the song that are played um, with odd meters, which also like kind of adds to its kind of ominous and chaotic feeling and that kind of sense of losing control. Mm-hmm. Um, while the, the solo is like really fast and really technical. Yes. So fun fact, I used to be able to play all of Master of Puppets on the guitar Apart from the solo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I've mentioned last time about, about when I used to have guitar lessons. Yeah. And a lot of, particularly, this will link to my story later, a lot of the guys used to want to learn Metallica songs. So hard. And ev- that was always the thing. Like, everyone would be able to play the whole thing apart from, yeah. like, yeah. Fred. Yeah. No. Nah. <laughs> no. It's um. very, very technically difficult. But, y- yeah. Yeah. It is hard. So, no shade to anyone who can't play that. But it's also a guitar hero. <laughs> yeah. Could have stood with Quinn because I think he does great. That's basically the album, kind of very quick kind of tour yeah. of that album. But yeah, go and check out Master of Puppets. So since then, like Metallica has gone through some lineup changes. And in 1983, so this was before um, they recorded that album, Kirk Hammett joined. Yes. And why do I want to mention Kirk Hammett? Because he's a massive horror fan. And he actually started his own annual horror convention. So Kirk, Kirk Von Hammett's Fear Fest Evil, and that's Fest Evil, <laughs> as it's known, has since its inception included guests such as Sarah Karloff, who is the daughter of Boris Karloff, Bella G. Lugosi, the son of Bella Lugosi, prosthetics <laughs> legend Tom Savini, and actors like Heather Langkamp, who was Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. and Kane Hodder who's Jason in Friday the 13th, as well as, you know, many of Hammett's like other kind of horror enthusiasts in metal. Yeah. So I just think that it's really great that, you you know, you have <laughs> this kind of like horror lover and like, you know, fan who, or, you know, com- I mean, he he performs at this festival and I just think that it's great to kind of have that, you know. Interlink. Interlinking. Crossover. Yeah, crossover. Because I think, you know, in many ways, like horror and metal and horror and gothic and metal and gothic, like they all kind of like feed into each other. That's a- type and diagram the trends follow a sort of like pattern and you can see them constantly overlapping with each other the intersection that would be the academic yeah, world yeah, yeah. intersections between yeah. them exactly exactly so yeah a lot of love for Kirk Hammett I think he's great he wasn't their first guitarist and he actually replaced somebody called 
Dave Mustaine, who- Oh my God, I didn't know, went, I know that Dave Mustaine was in Metallica. Yes, who went on to found another band that is also part of the Big Four. So maybe yes. you know this already, but like, can you guess which one? Is it Megadeth? It is Megadeth. It's yeah. Megadeth, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I think I remember that he was in another band, but I don't think I knew it was Metallica. But yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Did not know yeah. that. That is my segue into Megadeth. So yeah, like other big four bands, like Metallica, Megadeth were pioneers in thrash. Um, uh-huh. And they were making songs that were incredibly technical and fast-paced. Lyrically, their songs cover death, politics, religion, and the occult, as well as, you know, relationships, because, you know... Mm-hmm. That's fine. But there's also like a little bit of love song or yeah, the human whatever connection. The opposite the human, of love yeah. songs are. Cricket <laughs> songs. Yeah, yeah. But there's also another theme that often crops up in their songs um, that I think you would find interesting. Maybe not in a is kind of listening. Yeah, it is. <laughs> soldiers. So I do know. Yes, I do know this. Yeah. Not necessarily just about Megadeth, but there's a. I, I'm aware that there's this huge trend in because I think Slayer do it as well but there's a huge Mm. trend in metal for songs about the returned soldier songs Mm -hmm. about the wounded soldier the ghosts of soldiers yes there's there is a a definite intersection and it's kind of mostly because of I mean it's two it's kind of these are people that were growing up during like Vietnam and Korea but it's mostly to do with things like the Falklands Mm. and the Cold War and also because that was creating a period of looking back to World War II and like the after effects of World War II so yeah it's a big it's a big thing (laughs) project Mary we can work together I mean yeah we can because then you wouldn't have to listen to the songs you could just read the lyrics and then I could just show you tell me the relevant stuff from like their music videos like watch this but like muted yeah (laughs) we could we could do this we could do this we Um, could totally do this okay so basically on a on a very long bus journey home after being fired from Metallica (laughs) and spurned by visions of revenge that he wanted to take on his now former bandmates Dave Mustaine was brainstorming lyrics. That's what he does when one is in a state of vengeance and anger. Yep, and can't go anywhere because you're stuck on a bus. (laughs) Who hasn't been there? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So one of the lyrics that he came up with was, the arsenal of Megadeth can't be rid no matter what the peace treaties come to. And Megadeth usually means one million human deaths typically caused by a nuclear holocaust. Yes. And... Dave Mustaine basically thought this word, yeah, great. I'll I'll use this word for my band. It sounds cool, and it's also kind of what I want to do, like with the band. But I'm going <laughs> to. You made it sound like <laughs> when you were like, "What you wanted? What he wants to do? He wants to like <laughs> nuclear bomb people." <laughs> oh no! Obviously, like from a from a kind of position of yeah. being critical of this thing, he's not he's not pro Megadeth, not pro Holocaust, not pro nuclear war. All of the, yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. yeah, let me let me just clarify that Megadeth are very anti-war. Like when I say yes. that, like war is a big theme in their songs. I mean, like they're critical of it. They're not yes, pro war. I'm sure something we'll probably talk about in the next one, how it, it sometimes gets misinterpreted mm. as, as not being anti-war. But yes, there's a yeah. strong war critical theme in all of this music. Yeah. But he also decided to drop the A. So obviously there's an A in death, D-E-A-T-H. He dropped the A just because, you Megadeth. know, like any, like any, yeah, Megadeth. 
with with no way because you know like anything gothic like once you take or appropriate something like you want to change it make it yours or yeah. just you know mess around That's why there's with it. so many different spellings of fairy <laughs> exactly so yeah basically you know nuclear warfare and government conspiracies and war again from a critical perspective feature on it is the cold you know we are talking 80s yeah. it is the yeah. cold war feature on many many of the albums so Again, let's let's get back to the album that we're going to focus on. So following their 1995 album, Killing Is My Business, dot, 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 and Business Is Good, in 1986, so again, same year mm-hmm. as Master of Puppets, uh, Megadeth released their first major label album after they signed with Capitol Records. And the anti-war themes of this album are apparent from its title, which is Peace Sells, dot, 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 but who's buying? I just think it's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, although I am intrigued as to like, they basically have this structure of like their album titles where they always have an ellipsis, which I'm just very curious about. Um, yeah, maybe it's like a generational thing. I don't know. Yeah, um, or maybe something that, that they just like and have kept doing. Because this is definitely something that all us emo kids picked up on in the mid 2000s. There's a lot of very long, like yeah. truncated song titles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the title track of this thrash album that's now like a classic album, like thrash mm-hmm. album, is Peace Sells, which is, yeah, critical of the war and the government. And it basically asks, can you pr- put a price on peace? So this song doesn't offer any solutions and it has been criticised, you know, oh, it's just a kind of liberal protest song. But I think it basically what it's doing is it's encompassing a general anger at political yeah. systems yeah. and the kind of inaction and, and this kind of, you know, everything from war to what governments are doing yeah and it's I guess this is the thing isn't it you only have to look at how many people are mad that Rage Against the Machine have recently come out air quotes as political and politically motivated to see that people like we need music to bring people's awareness and to be explicit in what they are angry about they can then and you know this is the 80s there's no social media you can't share links to mm. places where you can learn more you have to take the suffragette approach you've got to set the house on fire to make people listen to you my yeah my favorite genre not that of, i can do violence <laughs> my favorite genre of metal fans that aren't really metal fans are rage against the machine fans who every year discover that the band that they love is actually really political and i'm like what 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 do you think the machine was what machine are you against? talking about like the printer like yeah. the coffee machine the man is like, crops like, they're raging against systems and governments and you know the status quo and everything just shout out to their you know recent shows where they basically um highlighted um the maternity mortality rate of black women in america and um, which i think is really important especially in light of the the overturning of Roe versus Wade but yeah they've they've always been political and they've always championed really important causes yeah so shout out to Rage exactly yeah this is exactly <laughs> what you say like I I don't mind that I don't mind that music gets political and if it's politi- I mean if it's political if in a way that I don't like then I won't then I won't listen to it <laughs> but I I you know like I quite like Metallica um and Megadeth you know some of my favorite bands and I love that Megadeth is consistently quite anti-war in, in yeah. that way but yeah okay so let's have a look at some of the other songs now so in true gothic style this album also features many tracks that focus on the occult um mm-hmm. because it's not just about you know the real world stuff there's also we need to get yeah. in that sort of gothic-y um occult aesthetic get the creepy stuff in. yeah so they have a, a song called bad omens 
And Mustaine has described this song as being like two happy campers who have stumbled to a satanic orgy in the middle of the woods. And then they see <laughs> these fools waiting around for Satan's blessing. But The Conjuring, which is another song from the album, is not just about the occult. It actually simulates a satanic ceremony. So I would highly recommend that you go and pause here and listen to the full song because it's going to be better than me reading out lyrics because that's what I'm <laughs> about, about to do. Come on, Mary. We'll Sing time, them. We'll timestamp this. <laughs> or we'll put a link somewhere. Go and go and listen to the song and come back. Um, but if you haven't done that, I apologise. You're just going to have to <laughs> listen yeah. to me. We'll do a pause. Okay, now you've listened to the song. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the lyrics, I'm not going to read out all of them, um, but some of the lyrics... And again, just think about this as a kind of simulation of a satanic ceremony. So, behold, the flames rise from the compass's cardinal points, burn the sacred oil, and with the ashes you'll anoint. Arrange the symbols of the wizard and magician, light the candles, place the parchment paper in position. Between its leaves, place the lash from a black cat's eye, a straw of a broom, fold and burn and centralise. Don't summon the devil. Don't call the priest. If you need the strength, then conjure me. I am the devil's advocate, a salesman, if you will. You know my name. You know my name. This song picks up typically gothic themes of Satan. Yeah. Um, who's depicted <laughs> as like an evil being pursuing deals and bargains. And also, the, you know, the devil's advocate, who is also depicted as a kind of salesman, which, you know, I think I think quite a lot of Megadeth songs are also quite um, critical of capitalism as a system. So I yeah, think we can also yeah. look at that, at those kinds of themes there. And then we also have, um, you know, the devil being referred to as Mephisto, which is a kind of shortened version of Mephistopheles. Who also, was obviously... the name of the devil in Marvel Comics, which was very popular <laughs> in the 80s. Yeah. Saying. <laughs> yeah. So Mephistopheles was made famous in German folklore through the Faust legend, mm-hmm. um, which is basically a guy who does a a deal with the devil so yeah like they're drawing on like a whole range of things but also it's based on Mustaine's own experience of practicing black magic as a teenager um and you know as you can see through some of the lyrics that I read through it contains instructions for hexing you need this this and this and you do this and you do that and you summon Beelzebub <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so contact you know warning there maybe don't do that if you don't want to summon the devil um <laughs> but um secret to atheists <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah basically because of its explicit and though simulated like practical enactment of devil summoning um they didn't actually like megadeth stopped playing the song between 20 2001 and 2018 because mustaine converted to christianity but he then decided to start playing mm-hmm. in 2018 just as long as it doesn't hurt anybody So you can go, like Mustaine has been quite open about like his kind of experiences practicing black magic as a teenager and how he would hex someone and then they would injure themselves. And obviously I am personally quite skeptical of those claims, but I do know like people's personal experiences are quite... Yeah, um, personal experience is a powerful thing. Powerful to an individual. Social perception is also very powerful. It's funny, Mm -hmm. I was literally just like yesterday listening to a podcast episode about the West Memphis Three like one of the big pieces of evidence if you don't know about the West Memphis Three go and look that case up it's a real incredibly I don't know I don't know how to phrase it like heartbreaking Mm. case of a miscarriage of justice born out of I mean it's 1993 so it's the 
it's the wrong side time-wise of the satanic panic but born out of the satanic panic born out of a mis kind of mistrust of the gothic of metal of indie of horror and one of the things that was used against the the three boys that were that were found guilty wrongfully found guilty was well they had a metallica tape Mm -hmm. yeah they wrote metallica lyrics in their notebooks and they wore black t-shirts and they watched horror movies so that must mean they are satanic killers and it, it's just, it's all, you know, what's that phenomenon where like you are aware of something and then you see it everywhere. It's not the Mandala effect, it's something else. But yeah, it's just yeah. funny that we're talking about it after I was listening to that because it just came up as like the next episode and I was like, oh yeah, this is relevant to what Mary's talking about. Yeah, and I think it's exactly like what you said, like, you know, D&D and horror films and, and, and horror novels and also metal have often been kind of blamed for lots yeah. of different things and and that whole satanic panic and and the idea that bands through their music or or through their live shows yeah. were corrupting the youth i think yeah. is, is always is always been there um, we will do an episode on the satanic panic yeah and probably one on the satanic church and one on the satanic temple but we will definitely do an episode on the satanic panic yeah because yeah. it's wild it is but, but yeah, yeah, I just I just think that it's interesting that, you know, it is a common theme in a lot of metal bands. And I think mm-hmm. often some people don't realise, you know, how it's kind of drawing from or, it, you know, in conversation with contemporary, like contemporaneous kind of like gothic and yes. horror or, or even kind yes. of like practical things yeah. in society. It's not just shock factor. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I also want to um, just briefly mention Megadeth's mascot. Yes, yes who's called Vic Rattlesnake. What a name. Yeah. So you might remember from our discussion of Iron Maiden in part one. And again, if you haven't mm-hmm. listened to that episode, then then go and listen to it or, or watch it. Yeah, um, why are you here? <laughs> yeah. Um, the mascots are, are, are really important to metal bands um, in terms of merchandising and creating a kind of identifiable image. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, they're really gothic. It's not just a mascot that's, you know, like a cute, cuddly teddy bear. They're, they're really gothic. Um, in their kind of construction. So here, Vic stands for victim, and he is a skeleton figure who embodies the phrase, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. So his eyes are covered by a visor, um, his mouth is clamped shut, and his ears are closed with like metal caps. And Mustaine has said that the mascot basically represents his feelings about religious repression and freedom of expression. And Vic Rattlesnake has become like Iron Maiden's Eddie, like a kind of monstrous addition to the band. He features in the live act. He's also on their album covers and he's in their music videos. And did you know that Megadeth is still making music? I did. Yeah, I'm actually familiar. Yeah. So in passing. <laughs> <laughs> they um again, I think that it's really great that we have we still have like those of bands that were around in the 80s still making music because you know live your best life yeah man and they just recently at the time of this for filming this episode (laughs) um released the first single off of their new album which is the sick the dying dot 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 and the dead i wonder Um, what that could have been inspired by in this the year of our lord 2022 (laughs) yeah it's a it's a mystery i guess we'll never know yeah we'll never know (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that album is due to re- be released later on this year, and I'm quite looking forward to that. But this video features, it basically features Vic Rattlesnake as the protagonist, and mm-hmm. along with two more 
tracks, so we are told. It basically promises to chronicle the origins of Vic Rattlesnake. So this first single, We'll Be Back, Chapter One, oh, okay. um, is essentially a soldier's tale of bravery. <laughs> sacrifice and the will to survive yeah it's yeah in, in case in case you're wondering why Mary keeps telling me about soldiers and you're not familiar with us <laughs> my research is all about representations of war and soldiers in the gothic from its inception to today I'm not just like weird I mean I am <laughs> no, I am weirdly obsessed with it <laughs> but because it's my profession <laughs> I'm professionally obsessed and that makes it fine <laughs> I, I think Vic Rattlesnake is really great as a mascot and I so think that- interesting as well that like you have that visual representation that's making it explicit it's much harder to miss I mean everything should be open to interpretation it's art but mm-hmm. we do see the dangers of when particular groups misinterpret or misunderstand a certain movement or music or art or whatever it may be and I do think having that visual of such a gothic horror inspired figure being connected to these ideas particularly like anti-war because I you know don't know if you'll forgot Russia is currently bombing Ukraine illegally please don't assassinate me Putin so it's still really pertinent still really important so the fact that they're continuing to use that platform we also have places like Yemen um yeah and 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 lots of places in you know in in the Middle East that that actually like it's not it's the UK and it's America or or it's other kinds of countries not you know I think we care when white people die Mary Mm. (laughs) we're the western powers I'm just going to add a sarcasm there just in case people don't realize yeah, that we were joking um, because yeah stuff does get misconstrued but yeah like in I, case you couldn't tell by the tone of our voice yeah I I mean I I really like Vic, Vic Rattlesnake and I also really like the concept of, of bands having mascots as well yeah because I think you know bands fun. are ultimately they're not just one person they're they're a group of people and I think it's nice that you have like a kind of figure that that encompasses the band like all all of the kind of band members yeah. but also you know like well, what the band camp, is it's very gothic and it's just really fun it's you fun know? it's fun it's fun you you want to put a little pin on your jacket and that, that's what they're good for yeah amongst other things yeah so that is that is Megadeth so now let's move on and let's talk a little bit about Slayer yeah who also released an influential album in 1986 so yeah, so far, if for those of you keeping count, all of the albums that we've talked about have been released in 1986. And Slayer's album was titled Reign of Blood. Also, fun fact about Slayer. So just as Megadeth's Dave Mustaine had previously been a member of Metallica, in 1984, guitarist and Slayer founding member Kerry King had a brief stint playing with Megadeth. Ah. Yeah, these are they're, they're all interconnected. They're all interconnected. But he basically left because, you know, playing in two up-and-coming bands is massively yeah. a drag on your time. Like, who knew? <laughs> um, and there is a little bit of a feud between... Yes, because I, I remember back yeah. back when that Sonosphere gig happened, everyone was like, oh my God, they're going to be in the same place. Like, mm-hmm. do, have, have they all gone over themselves? Like, is there still grudges? It's a, it's a fun fun little bit of drama I like it yeah lots of drama so they were founded in California in 1981 um, and their so their early image really heavily relied on satanic themes and aesthetic um, and like earlier like metal bands such as Black Sabbath which they took a lot of inspiration from they often featured like pentagrams and inverted Mm -hmm. crosses 
and albums such as Show No Mercy and Hell Awaits also frequently turn to Satan and Hell in their lyrics while their songs were also, you know, like a lot of thrash stuff, like really long and really complex. However, this third album, Rain of Blood, it took a slightly different turn. So they signed with Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin's Def Jam Records. And this was a label that was primarily hip hop. Um, It did primarily hip hop stuff. And I think that was really like, really influenced them in in what, what they actually produced. The songs on this album are shorter, they're also faster, but they also incorporated some kind of like hardcore punk elements, which I think yep. maybe if they hadn't changed labels, they, they maybe wouldn't have maybe done wouldn't that. Maybe wouldn't have happened. Um, yeah, and if Rick Rubin sounds familiar to you, he's been involved in, I mean, as well as doing a lot of hip hop stuff, he's also been like quite a, a big figure in, in other kinds of, especially- Rick new- Rubin is, yeah, is a huge figure in mm. like contemporary music. If you don't know who Rick Rubin is, definitely go and Google I think there's a couple of documentaries about Jeff Jam Records as well. Mm. Um, Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, like yeah. they're, they're ma- massive in terms of their hip hop, but also in terms of like their metal. They they maybe starting with Slayer a little bit actually, but yeah, they yeah. they did get on quite quite a lot of quite a lot of other metal bands, um, especially new metal bands to be honest. Yes. which um, stick around for part three, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that next time. Yes. So yeah, this album also proved to be like really, really controversial, mostly because of the title track, Angel of Death. Def Jam's distributor, Columbia Records, initially refused to release it. And I think they had to go to another kind of distributor to, to get the album out. But I just want to know, like, I, I just wonder, like, do you, do you know why this song? Do you have any ideas why this song was controversial? Well, wasn't it because Columbia were like, it's blasphemous? No. Why was it then? So it's basically because the song is about the Holocaust, concentration uh, camp, and yes, of course. The, the human experiments that were conducted by um, Joseph yeah. Mengele, who had the kind of moniker Angel of Death. Angel of Death. Yeah. And it's basically led to accusations that the band is pro-Nazi, which the band have like vociferously denied. They say that they are not they are not pro-Nazi, they're just kind of interested in this kind of stuff. And Jeff Hanneman, who was another member, founding member of Sayer, he also said, nothing I put in the lyrics that says necessarily he was a bad man, because to me, well, isn't that obvious? I shouldn't have to tell you that. So you, yeah, so you have this song that is basically about, you know, yeah, this guy and a lot of people were like, you're not saying that he's bad, therefore you must be pro him pro-nazi and and he kind of speaks back and is like well everyone knows that he's bad obviously but i mean i i always kind of pause with slayer i think this is the thing that stops me from really listening to them a lot because they Mm -hmm. have drawn on this kind of controversy and and kind of really gone with the whole yeah like nazi and and ss stuff like since yeah this is the thing that i think bothers me sometimes and i have this conversation a lot but you have to make it explicit that it is anti because what we do know is particularly in the 90s there was a big wave of neo-nazi kind of pro-holocaust of like pro-fascist metal that used metal's interest in the the darkness of mm-hmm. you know the perceived satanic cults of of the occult of of the things that the horrible things that humans can do to each other and we're like, ah, yes, it's reveling in that. It's that mm-hmm. kind of, oh, yeah, 
it's attractive rather than like I don't think that Swaya are neo-nazi or pro-nazi and I do think that they were trying to kind of explore something to highlight how horrific it was but I do sometimes I'm like ah yeah I don't want I don't want to say oh all art has to come with you know an explainer but what with something like that when we know you know we've seen the impact of things that have engaged with nazi aesthetic without explicitly condemning them and it leads to people using them as neo-Nazi symbols. And we know that that happened in metal and we, we've had in the 90s a lot of, and punk as well. Yeah. It, it unfortunately has happened. Yeah. Such you guys, it sucks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, one, I'm 100% with you. As soon as I find out that a band is Nazi or pro-Nazi, I don't listen to them and I, and I, I stop yeah. listening to them. Or it, it's, it's also one of the reasons why I'm a little bit, you know, I find it difficult to get into like, black metal or death metal yes. because that also has like a large kind of strain of of <laughs> like nazi bands and it, some a lot of them, people that genuinely want to kill women yeah <laughs> i mean well yeah it goes it goes hand in hand you know if you're if you're pro the genocide of entire populations it, you're also probably misogynistic and all of those kinds of like awful kinds of things so yeah i'm, I'm with you like i think i think ultimately like slayer are, are not pro-nazi I just do pause when, you know, okay, yeah, it's obvious to you, but maybe not to like people um, listening to your songs. It comes back to that thing again of like, you're a privileged white guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like um, I know a lot of these bands come from like a lower economic class and, you know, not necessarily privileged in that way, but it's that thing again that we say, you know, as a culture constantly, like you have to check your privilege and remember who you know that you're talking to a diverse population of people yeah and and there's other there's other ways to do it I think but you know this is the venue that they that they chose to go down and you know if that's what they want to do like I say as far as I'm aware they're not they're not Nazi so yeah yeah um, I'm fairly sure that they have like particularly in recent years been very vocal about their stance and been very yeah. vocal about you know pro-nazis and neo-nazis are not welcome at their concerts and I'm fairly sure they have quite strict rules about like if you're seen wearing any any symbols or any regalia like mm -hmm. you're out the door but which is what which is what metal should be and and yeah like my experience within metal crowds is that you know they're not they don't take kindly to nazis and yeah. if you're a nazi and you find yourself in a mosh pit then you will soon find yourself at the door yeah but yeah this whilst song... I said I don't <laughs> condone violence <laughs> I'm shrugging yeah. for the people listening. Yeah, if yeah. you're in a Nazi, probably gonna get punched, and I'm not gonna be mad about it. <laughs> yeah. So, so this song in particular, the album, and and quite a lot of say stuff, it, it obviously still provokes controversy. And I think what what this legacy basically demonstrates is that it in documenting the violent and horrific tale of a Nazi war criminal, the song and the album basically makes space for extreme metal where no theme however violent or controversial is, is off limits and mm -hmm. that's basically extreme metal is a kind of another subgenre that encompasses yes. like a lot of a lot of stuff from thrash to black metal to death metal and all this kind of stuff and it's it's extreme in both its music and its lyrical and, and thematic content which i think is what slayer brings to thrash but so yeah. what about anthrax so yeah a band. anthrax. and a virus <laughs> a 
Okay, yeah. So yeah, let, the, the Anthrax is the last band that makes up the Big Four. And I was going to ask you, can you guess where they got their name from? But you basically from specifically the Anthrax. So there was a series in the US of of like Anthrax Male, wasn't there? And it was like a terror crime. And I've always assumed it's from that specific event, but I don't know if the timelines match up. So basically, um, founding member and guitarist Scott Ian saw Anthrax in a biology textbook. Ah. And he thought that it sounded suitably evil. Nice. So yeah, basically Anthrax, the disease and the name evil. So that's a metal band. Yeah, I can't comment because when we were teenagers we picked our band name by dropping a dictionary on the floor and then seeing what page it landed on seeing if there was any cool words on that page yeah yeah so anthrax's third studio album um which is called among the living was released in 1987 so one year it's annoying because you know if they had released it in 86 otherwise it would have matched but yeah like within this two-year period you have had all of these bands and and it's this album that like basically propelled them into like the mainstream um, and it saw them like become a household name. So mm-hmm. in this album, the band turned to films, politics, comics, and also Stephen King novels yep. for kind of like the, the lyrical inspiration. So Among the Living, the song is based on characters and themes in King's novel, The Stand. And A Skeleton in the Closet was adapted from King's novella, Apt Pupil. So I think that it's interesting that, you know, we have this, this again, like, like Metallica did, kind of drawing on, on fiction and, and specifically kind of horror fiction. And also, like, what's different with Anthrax is that whereas, like, quite a lot of other thrash bands, their songs were quite dark, quite ominous, quite serious. Anthrax also mixed in humour, but they yeah. also still, like, focus on, like, real life, like, horrors. So they have a song called Indians, which is a song that basically highlights the plight of Native American people um, who are forced to live on reservations. And their song, One World, addresses the risk of nuclear holocaust. But yeah, they mix in to their songs, kind of humour. Yeah. And also a little bit of um, hip hop and rap. Yeah. So this is a kind of, I knew so we were getting to the end. Like, yeah, but this yeah, is the just point. To, <laughs> this, is the, this is the point. And this is what I think Anthrax really brings to metal as a whole, not just thrash. I mean, I think what I really like about metal is it's always like innovative and changing and mixing in different stuff and I think that yeah like this is basically like a really really key influencer for like another metal subgenre so So the turning point comes (laughs) you know you know which genre this is I do yeah so I do I'm a child of the 90s (laughs) yeah so (laughs) in the 90s new metal is born which also you know like anthrax draws on a lot of like hip-hop and yeah and a new metal but Anthrax was I think the first metal band to use blast beats which I just think is really interesting interesting um, but yeah that has been this is a very quick tour about Anthrax because I spent so much time on Metallica and Megadeth and was like oh no I, think I need Mary. to make sure that we fit this in one episode you but, have your favorites and that's fine no one's judging you and if they are, are judging you really you, I make really, your own show <laughs> I really like anthrax and I mean as stick around for part three which will be coming I don't know when but soon and soon. Will, <laughs> yeah we will we will delve into new metal which is another one of my favorite metal genres um yeah. but to sum up thrash metal and why I think it's gothic thrash metal metal is basically incredibly violent and aggressive and it continues to incorporate occult and satanic themes alongside social issues and criticisms of war and the social elite Horror and gothic narratives are still used as inspiration for song lyrics, as are the actual practices of magic and also real life horrors. 
-hmm. pushing music to the extreme whether that be technically and speed or the kind of lyrical content of songs yeah everything horrific is open up to being explored while monstrous we love mascots, a boundary push in the gothic exactly while monstrous mascots continue to play a part in the thera- theatrics of live shows so that has been our gothic tour of thrash metal through the big four let us know if you have any other favorite thrash metal bands yeah. or if you have any favorites from the big four and like i say the part part three we will be delving into new metal which is very different <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. That yes. Very different. So, you know, if you want to switch off now that you've heard Mary give her like good researched <laughs> academic, feel free. I'm gonna tell you my embarrassing cringe story from when I was 17. Very <laughs> excited about that. Uh, to do with metal. I I don't think I've told you this before. So when so as you know, Mary, between the ages of 14 and 18, I was in a band with my best friend and my little sister. And we used to play on this, so like a circuit essentially. So it was like a, mm-hmm. a youth thing where like all the ba- all the kids that were in bands in the area could come together. And the last Sunday of every month, we would we would like do a gig. And the idea was that like you asked each other to support you, and you know that we we were all platforming each other. Some of the bands were really good. Um, some of the bands like on that circuit like went on to be relatively like well known. One of them I think supported Trivium. At one Damn, point, that was, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fairly sure. Like one, I don't know if it was just for like a couple gigs or if it was just the one in Nottingham. But <laughs> once we were doing like a showcase, of, like all the bands, we were the only girls, and we <laughs> our thing was that we did like pop punk covers of pop songs. So Love we it. did like so... <laughs> "Shut Up and Drive" by Rihanna <laughs> and a Ashley Simpson song that I can't even remember the name of. <laughs> So that was like one of our things and we were like we did a couple of our own songs and we would do some mashups of like things like we did a bit of Nirvana and Green Day. We just used to do it for fun like playing in our garage. Some of the guys there took it very very seriously and two things that (laughs) happened. The first one is that my sister is hypermobile and can she was the drummer she was the most talented out of the three of us like she's very good at the drums she could essentially emulate a double bass pedal with one foot because her she can flick her foot so that she can essentially like almost get that double bass sound and it used to make the boys a lot of these boys had these big excessive drum kits you know double bass and my little sister who at this point hadn't had a growth spot so we're still shorter than me so this little blonde 14 year old used to get behind the drums and just like absolutely destroy and it was hilarious because 17 year old boys have a lot of ego and they did not like this and also what once happened so talking about eight minute long thrash metal songs we were at this showcase loads of people in the audience this guy who was the front man for this thrash band didn't even start singing. They got like 30 seconds in the song and he turned around and he stopped his whole band, told the guitarist off for making a mistake and made him start and made them start the song again in front of a whole audience of people. See, a good band playing live will adapt. You to roll mistakes. with it. You roll with it. Like nothing... <laughs> nothing is going to be perfect live and yeah. if it is amazing right. so, so what so what if you miss a note or, yeah, not or everybody eats you know, cds for breakfast i think that i think it's a real i think it's a real talent 
especially you know no matter how big or small the mistake is when people can kind of adapt yeah, to that roll with it live it was the most cringe thing I have yeah. ever experienced oh, and gosh. I think that's why for a while even though I did like particularly some Metallica songs I was just like no metal is not my thing because in that yeah. pocket of culture there was such a toxic relationship between masculinity and metal and it wasn't until I got a bit older that I was like oh <laughs> these bands are really cool <laughs> like that's actually the opposite of like they would think this guy was a dickhead but yeah I will never remember I will never forget sorry the absolute cringe that I felt like that my whole awful. body I was like oh as he turned around and made them all stop. I say 30 seconds, it felt like a lot longer, like they've been playing for a lot longer than that. And it felt like he stopped them for a lot longer than that. Oh God. It was painful. He took it way too seriously. And he just didn't like us at all because we were three girls playing. I think we played a Justin Timberlake song. <laughs> I'm not, a mu- I'm not, I mean, you know me, I'm not a music snob. I think everyone should listen to what they want want to listen to um and if you want to listen to one genre then go ahead and if you want to listen to everything then go ahead you know yes live your best life I'm convinced that I'm going to get you into a k-pop band called Dreamcatcher that are basically like a metal they're a bit like they're not quite baby metal they're not as metal as baby metal if you don't know baby metal what are you doing with your life go and listen to chocolate um but yeah Yeah. there's a band called Dreamcatcher and I really think you might like them I'm determined determined we shall see we shall see we shall see well mary thank you for another fantastic informative episode about the gothic history of metal uh somehow we have managed to maintain corporal form throughout the (laughs) the whole hour in this heat we haven't melted Um, yet we have not melted yet i am going to go and submerge myself in ice cold water like a mythical being from a disney movie i can only be out of the water for a short periods of time um, but hopefully when you are listening to this or watching this it's more temperate uh, and if it's not eat a calippo it'll be fine <laughs> we have been the ghoul guides make sure you come back for part three and thank you for attending another meeting of the ghoul guide association stay safe and stay spooky stay safe stay spooky and stay cool bye bye <laughs>